My name is Jenna and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all the research, guidance, and encouragement you need to help you remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Uh, <laughs> I am raging right now. <laughs> you guys, if you were on my Instagram like five minutes before I am posting this, um, then you know that I already recorded this freaking episode. and. When I went to go and listen to it, to edit it, I realized that my son had at some point snuck in here and turned the echo option on my microphone all the way up. And the entire episode, which was like 30 minutes long at the time, was completely unlistenable. (laughs) Like the echo was just insane and ridiculous. And you could barely even understand what I was saying. So 30 minutes down, 30 minutes of my life wasted. Um, Yeah, so that's frustrating. But we're going to roll with it. It is what it is. Radical acceptance, right? Um, Had my little pity party and I'm back to it because I know if I don't do this now, I'm never going to. So I'm already kind of back from a little bit of a hiatus, like two or three weeks. Um, I feel like I just needed some time to commit myself to my new role at NoCD. Um, And again, if you haven't heard any of my previous ads about it or know about it yourself, then NoCD is an OCD treatment platform um, on mobile. So we're available in all 50 states. It's where you can go if you have OCD or if you want to potentially get um, assessed for OCD and if you want the treatment for it. Um, So if you're a therapist, definitely keep no CD in mind as far as outpatient goes um, for a referral source. And if you're somebody who's out there struggling or if you know someone who's struggling, then keep no CD in mind. Um, To get started, all you need to do is go to www.treatmyocd.com and do the free 15-minute phone call. So like I said, I've been really dedicating myself to that role. I've been trying to just give it my all and, you know, get really adjusted there. And so far I love it. So I, I think now I'm, I'm kind of adjusted to everything and I feel like I can take a step back now and refocus on other things, um, that I, that I love like my podcast. So it's been a while, but today we're going to talk about for the second time, (laughs) uh, we're going to talk about the different levels of care for mental health treatment. So I am going to talk to you guys about, um, the different kind of levels of care and what that looks like, what that means, how to know if you're struggling with that, you know, if you're struggling to not make gains in a certain level of care, uh, what options otherwise might be available to you. And I think this is important because for both therapists out there and for other people out there who are struggling um, to get the services or to access the services, I think a lot of times people believe mistakenly that there are 
kind of two options that you're either having to go to this traditional outpatient therapy, which is what we think about traditionally for therapy one or two times a week, or you're in inpatient, which is what we probably all think about if we're, if we're thinking of someone who's quote unquote being hospitalized, right? So the reality is, is that those two exist, but they're on totally different ends of the spectrum. And there are lots of levels in between that. So, um, there are lots of options out there to kind of accommodate and meet people where they're at as far as their needs go and as far as their level of impairment goes. So a lot of people, a lot of therapists, and a lot of clients don't know that these other options exist. So if you're struggling and outpatients, just the traditional one or two times a week isn't enough for you, um, it's not that you're going to have to you know, do this higher level of care that's necessarily inpatient. Um, there are other options out there that are available. So I really wanted to get that information out there. And it's cool because at this point now, with everything under my belt, I've officially dipped my toes in at least all of the, at least in all these different areas um, at some point or another in my professional development. So um, inpatient being the highest level of care, I worked there at Johns Hopkins uh, during when I was an intern at, you know, for my grad school. Um, I worked at the Johns Hopkins Child and Adolescent Unit for inpatient residential, which is the next highest level of care underneath inpatient. I was at the Rogers uh, Rogers Memorial Hospital, the OCD and Anxiety and Treatment Center. That's where you go there and you live pretty much 24-7. That's where I've been for the last eight or so years. Underneath that is partial hospitalization programs or PHPs. You can think of those as kind of like full-time jobs. Next under that would be intensive outpatient, which is IOP. And both IOP and PHP, I've kind of dipped my toes in at the Rogers um, Memorial Hospital um, just when other people needed coverage or, you know, when we had to to kind of like float staff around. Um, And now that I'm at NoCity, I have officially been to outpatient. So I've been at all these different levels of care um, and and all these different levels of care exist for everything. So, um, you know, they're not, this isn't just specific to OCD and anxiety, but there are general mental health partial hospitalization programs. There are residential substance use programs. So depends on really what you need and depends on what the difficulties are. And also I should say there are kids specific programs. There are adolescent specific programs. There are adult specific programs. There are also programs that are just specific to males and females. Um, Different programs may focus on different types of treatment. So you really have to take all this into consideration, whether you're the client, um, whether you're looking for someone you care about, or whether you're the therapist. Um, I can't tell you how many times I have been this close to referring someone somewhere, but upon further digging, I realized that they only took males, um, but when I, I needed services for a female. So you really have to do some digging, um, and I'll get into later on how to go about doing that digging and make sure that you're asking the right questions and Um, just trying to get yourself or your client into the best level of care possible. So we're going to start first with the most basic level of care, um, which is outpatient. So again, this is the lowest level of care. This is what most of us probably think of when we think of therapy, and this is outpatient services. So um, this is going to be when you go to a therapist, usually in their office, although most of us now are providing teletherapy services. Um, We usually work alone and not necessarily with a team. So um, sometimes, you know, they might have, they might work in conjunction with a a psychiatrist, especially if they're, if the therapist is associated kind of with a larger therapy firm. Um, 
But if you're really just a private practice therapist and you're doing it on your own or you're seeing a private practice therapist, then this is more so you being outpatient. So you're really working by yourself. Um, if you want other services or other members involved in your treatment, then you would have to refer out. Um, so you'd see a private practice or just an outpatient provider one or two times a week, usually in their office, like I said, or via tele due to the pandemic. And this is the lowest level of care. So um, if you are just starting out in therapy, um, you just need some adjustments made. If you feel like you're pretty much, you know, going to work, you're able to make your appointments, your activities of daily living or your ADLs aren't too significantly impaired, um, but you're still feeling really awful um, and you just need some interventions in that way, um, then it's possible that outpatient therapy would be the best option for you. So you know, if you are, if your functioning is kind of inhibited by your symptoms, obviously, but it's not so extreme or so significant that you're unable to function, um, then outpatient might be your best bet. So outpatient is going to be for people who can succeed and do well with 45 to 60 minutes, uh, maybe one or two times a week. If you're feeling like you need, or a client that you're seeing needs more than that, um, that they just need more supervision, um, they need more guidance and feedback, or they just need more support in general, um, then the next highest level of care that someone could consider is intensive outpatient. Um, that's otherwise known as IOP. So if you feel like you need a little bit more than outpatient, maybe three times a week, um, or if you feel like you're kind of getting to the point where your activities of daily living are really starting to become significantly compromised, like sleeping, eating, difficulty concentrating, difficulty taking care of yourself, then IOP might be the best bet. I also think IOP is really, it's a good indicator that someone needs IOP when they're not, you know, able to maintain gains at outpatient level. Um, so if they're not, you know, consistently doing their homework, um, if they're really struggling, you know, up to, you know, more hours a day than they would be an outpatient, if they're not able to practice that ritual prevention as far as OCD goes on their own, um, if they're not able to, you know, maintain the gains and kind of work the system and work the treatment on their own in the evenings when you're not with them um, and on the weekends when they're not being seen, then it's indicative and suggestive that these individuals may need something more. So I always think of IOP kind of like a part-time job. So again, every program and every um, kind of system is going to be a little bit different. But in my experience, IOPs have kind of been four or five days a week for four or five hours a day. So these individuals would still have the nighttime and the evenings, and they would have the weekends to kind of do their jobs and be with their families. Um, but you can imagine, you know, they'd have to usually take off of work or take, you know, time away from their other responsibilities to apply that to treatment. Um, and that's really indicative of the level of need, right? So someone who's going to have to take time away from their work um, for treatment usually was having to probably take time away from work anyway because of their symptoms. Um, so usually an IOP as well, you'll just get more, uh, in-depth treatment. So you'll also have more people who are working with you. You may, um, your therapist may be working with a team, like a psychiatrist and maybe some others who are contributing to your care. And it's likely too, that you'd probably get some additional groups and maybe some additional supervision, just more time with your therapist. So it's just going to be a little bit more intense than outpatient. I've often said that one of my favorite go-to self-care routines is to get my nails done. 
But if you're like me, then you just can't justify salon prices or the harshness that these bring to your nails. Olive in June allows you to get the salon quality manicures and pedicures at home. You can easily go up to seven days without chipping. You don't have to leave the house and you can finally stop spending $35 or more every two weeks on getting them done. For $10 off your first order, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com and click on deals. And the next level of care, even above and beyond that, would be partial hospitalization programs or PHPs. So really similar to intensive outpatient, but it's just more intense. Um, So intensive outpatient is going to be more like a full-time job um, versus IOPU is more like a a part-time job. Um, Partial hospitalization programs, in my experience, have been more of like the 40 hours a week type of deal. So five days a week, um, six to eight hours a day. You would still have the night times and the evenings available and the weekends available, but you can imagine you just spend so much more time in programming. You have so much more time and consistency and frequency with your therapist and other members of the team. Um, also in partial hospitalization, usually like in IOP as well, you're going to have access to more groups. Um, for example, in the partial hospitalization programs where I've worked, um, they had access to art therapy. They had access to experiential therapy. They did educational groups, um, all these things. And so when it comes to intensive outpatient and partial hospitalization programs, you'll also be programming with other people, um, which could be a good or a bad thing, depending on kind of the structure of the program, um, the nature of your difficulties. I'm always, you know, of the opinion that I think that support from other people can be really, really helpful. Um, especially if you're all struggling with OCD, if you're all struggling with with anxiety or whatever, um, I think that that can be an awesome part of these more intensified programs that you would not be able to get or access at a lower level of care like outpatient. And then the next level of care um, where I was primarily for the past eight or so years was residential. So residential is where you literally, you may have to relocate depending on your location, Um, And you'll live there for 24-7, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, um, depending on how long the program is. Every program may be a little different, but where I was, it was 45 to 60 days. Um, Obviously, certain factors contribute to that length of stay. So someone's insurance, someone's financial situation, whether they're meeting their gains or they're not meeting their gains. Um, And so, so, yeah, it just really depends on kind of how long you're there. Some programs have a strict cutoff of 30 days and that's it. Sometimes it's more um, it's more determined by whether you're maintaining goals and all those things. Um, but yeah, residential is going to be where you literally, you're there all the time. You're there the entire day, the entire evening. Um, of course, you're able to kind of leave. These programs are usually like voluntary, like you could leave. Um, it's not like inpatient where you're, you know, there for safety and you're watched and supervised 100% of the time. Um, residential, you know, they could go for walks, they could go for outings before the pandemic, um, they could have visitors, so on and so forth, but you lived there. Like that was your residence for some time. You ate there, you did programming there, lots of, you know, lots of groups, lots of group support and other, you know, other types of support there too. Lots of people contributing to your treatment, as you can imagine, just being in such an intensified environment. Um, so really, you're just getting saturated with this level at this level of care. You're getting saturated, and your in your your ability, you know, to absorb all of the treatment is really present in residential treatment settings. 
So residential, though, is going to be reserved for the people whose activities of daily living are really, really negatively impaired by their symptoms. So these are individuals who are not able to meet this, you know, the activities of daily living that they need in order to take care of themselves. Um, really big items um, of concern are usually interfered with. So um, like food may be compromised, their eating may be compromised. Sleep is a big one. So if someone's sleep is really compromised, then they would benefit from having residential just because there are staff members on site 24 seven. Um, if people aren't benefiting at lower levels of care, then they would benefit potentially from residential. Um, and at all these levels of care, you could struggle to some degree with suicidal ideation. Um, and so even an outpatient, you could struggle with suicidal ideation. You may have even had a plan or intent at some point. Um, but obviously you can imagine that as you get higher and higher in the levels of care, these things become more and more of an issue and these things are going to be more and more monitored. Um, and then speaking of that, so then we have the highest level of care, which is inpatient. Um, so inpatient is unique in that it's not meant really as, as treatment as far as my experience has gone. It's more of like a stabilization state. Um, so these individuals are really working to kind of just get you stabilized. Um, of course, there may be opportunities and groups and a therapist working with you to help you with things like coping skills and really just some really important educational information to set you up for the next level of care. Um, but in my experience, you know, inpatient is more of a stabilization matter, um, making sure that medications are st stabilized, making sure that safety 100% is safe, is, uh, is good to go. Um, inpatient is for the individuals who are at risk of hurting themselves or others. Um, so if we're really concerned as therapists about someone's ability to be safe, um, they're indicating some suicidal intent or a plan, or maybe they've even done something to harm themselves or others, then inpatient would be the level of care that would be um, referred to. Um, but inpatient, again, is just more for stabilization purposes. And then the goal then would be hopefully to get them into a lower level of care. Maybe if residential was available and practical for that person, then they could do that step down. And with that said, that drop down, that incremental step down is ideal. Um, research shows that that incremental step down is the best path forward for someone to maintain their gains long term. But of course, it's not always possible. So it would be ideal if someone, if they started an inpatient, then they would go down to residential, then go down to partial hospitalization, then go down to intensive outpatient, and then end at outpatient. Um, of course, that's not always possible. Sometimes logistical matters just get in the way, insurance gets in the way access to care gets in the way. Um, so there are lots of different factors there. And if that's possible for someone to kind of plan that in their treatment plan or kind of just envision that for yourself and try to make that happen, that is the best plan of action. Although that's not to say that it's required. So I've had tons of people go from residential to outpatient and still maintain, you know, be able to maintain their successes. I think that there are just some uh, factors that the therapist and that the client would have to keep in mind, knowing that it's not going to be that incremental step down, that you are jumping from a pretty high level of care to a pretty low level of care. So residential to outpatient is a pretty big jump. So in residential, I would really want to make sure that that person had strong uh, relapse prevention plans in place. I would want to make sure that they had the ability to show up to outpatient services, the ability to make it to appointments on time the ability to maintain their gains on the weekends, in the evenings, 
um, and the ability to kind of self-motivate and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah. So again, there are lots of logistical and practical issues that can kind of interfere here. Um, it's not always that ideal drop down, like I talked about, but you know, I think with the pandemic, especially these things are becoming more and more accessible than they ever have been. Um, which is honestly kind of a bright light in the darkness of this pandemic. Um, I've seen so many people benefit from IOP being able to go in a teletherapy setting. Um, and they would not have otherwise been able to like relocate and go to those programs or drive three hours a day, every day, uh, to be able to make it work. So, so yeah, my goal in this, uh, podcast is it it was to just kind of get the information out there. Um, I think it, I think there are a lot of people out there who didn't realize that there are these kind of options out there. And biggest, biggest thing is if someone's not benefiting from the current level of care, and if there are clear barriers to them being able to do so, the biggest one to come to mind is if someone's not able to meet to, to get there on time. Like if someone's rituals or anxiety or problems are, you know, getting in the way of them to be able to even show up to these appointments or contribute to these appointments in a meaningful way, then I think that's a really big indicator that they need something more. So I hope that this resonated with some of you. I hope that there were some new tidbits in here that maybe you weren't aware of. Um, So yeah, if you are in need of additional services or different services, two places that I would recommend seeking out would be psychologytoday.com or iocdf.org, specifically for OCD specific resources. So that's the International OCD Foundation. Um, So you should be able to kind of go to these websites, type in the level of care that you're looking for in your area and find a couple of different options. Sometimes I have to just resort to Google and search like substance abuse residential treatments in Wisconsin. Um, And there are usually a lot of websites and a lot of hits that kind of come up. Um, And then you'll have to do the digging, like I said earlier, to make sure that, you know, they take insurance or they don't, you know, do they take males and females or is it just one population? Um, kids, adolescents, adults, all those things. So there are lots of opportunities out there. Um, and especially with Tela, I think they're more accessible than ever. So I hope some of this was new. I hope this was helpful. And gosh, I'm really glad that this is over having done this two times now. (laughs) So yeah, reach out and let me know if you guys have any more questions about it. And I'll be coming back on here more often. I promise. In the meanwhile, keep doing all the hard things. You guys rock. Bye. For more information and resources, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com. From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure that you are the most up to date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jenna.overbaugh and tune into some other episodes here while you're at it. As always, if you have a free minute, it would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other people who need these resources and they otherwise may not get them. With that said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.